expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information, go to KUCI.org or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Hello and good morning. My name is Dinah and you're listening to Thought Bubbles on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine a show where I discuss superheroes and the latest comic book news. So, I'm talking about two main things this week. The first being the first solo for Jaime Reyes, which is Blue Beetle from 2006, written by John Rogers and Keith Griffin. And the second being the first two episodes of Titans on HBO Max. Um, three are up, but I haven't seen the third episode yet. So, needless to say, there will be lots of spoilers for those. So I'm going to put it at the second half of this show, and I'll give you a spoiler warning again then when I transition into that. But I just wanted to give you a heads up now that that will be coming. So to start with, lately I've been reading Blue Beetle, the first time I read solo from 2006. And just as a little bit background, a little bit of background information on Blue Beetle and Jaime Reyes in case you're not familiar. So... Jaime is the third Blue Beetle after Dan Garrett, who's the original, and Ted Kord, who replaced Dan Garrett after him and joined the DC Universe during Christ's on Infinite Earths. So when Ted Kord first gets... Okay, let's back up. The character of Blue Beetle is tied to this beetle scarab that sort of imbues powers and the mantle of Blue Beetle. So this is what Dan Garrett has until he passes down the mantle to his protege, Ted Kord, who doesn't have any powers. He has the scarab, but it didn't like bond with him in the same way. So all of his powers come from technology that like he's built. And then when Ted Kord dies in Infinite Crisis, the beetle scarab that creates the blue beetle mantle is passed on to Jaime, and it gives him superpowers, something that it did not give Ted. So that is already one of the biggest differences between these two characters. Um, so Jaime's first appearance is, like I said, in Infinite Crisis, when Ted dies, and then his first solo is the one that I'm talking about here, Blue Beetle, by John Rogers and Keith Griffin. So... I really loved this solo as, well, mostly as a character introduction because it's his first solo, so I guess if you're like me and didn't read Infinite Crisis, then this is your introduction to the character. It's the first time reading him if you're reading in chronological order. And I think that it's honestly a really great one because I always love an origin story with some mystery in it, which this has, and I also love when teen heroes tell their friends and family about their powers, which this also has. I just think that there's always something extra enjoyable about how revealing a superhero identity or and or powers changes the hero's relationship with both their friends and family and with their powers and superheroing because it just adds another layer of sort of worry and 
another sense of support, which being a fan of Spidey sucks because he had to do all of his superheroing on his own as a 15-year-old, and kids shouldn't have to do that. So, superhero kids, get yourselves a mentor, if only for my peace of mind, please. But yeah, and this one's especially interesting, too, because Jaime actively sort of turns down help at first. He realizes that it is the adult heroes that kind of got him into this whole mess and situation in the first place, and he's like, no, I don't trust you, I don't want to work with you, I'm going to figure this out on my own. But back to the mystery, because this is a really interesting one, in my opinion, since it's so layered. Because to start with, Jaime wakes up a year in the future not remembering anything that happened. He thinks that a day has passed. So that's a year of his family being worried out of his mind, thinking that he ran off, and his friends moving away. And in addition to this, he also has no idea how his powers work. Which I also think from a reader's standpoint works really well, because now as a reader, I get to find out at the same time as, as Jaime does exactly what's going on and how everything works, which makes him a really good audience surrogate in this sense. And it's always something that I love. It cuts down on exposition, and it really makes me as a reader feel like I'm part of the narrative, since I'm, for the most part, just as clueless as he is. I don't know what's going on, and he doesn't know what's going on. And every time that I'm reminded that he also doesn't know what's going on, I'm reassured by the fact that I don't know how the Beetle Scarab works either, but it's fine because neither does Jaime. We're figuring it out together. So I think that's really fun, and it just makes me feel more connected to the character and his story and stuff. So I love that. I'd also like to say that sort of, for me at least, that struggle and confusion immediately makes me attached to a character, especially a teenager, because it is just about the most realistic way to act as a new, a newly-fledged hero is, oh god, what am I doing? What's happening? Um, so I think it's, it's really entertaining, but also very humanizing and kind of heartfelt to see a character go through, especially a superhero, go through that kind of struggle and figure out who they are and who they want to be as a hero and how their powers work. So I thought that that was done really well here. I haven't actually finished it yet, but what I've read so far, I thought that was done extremely well. And it makes Jaime such a relatable and such a welcoming character. Because, especially for him specifically, like, this was something that was thrust upon him. And it's got such a strong legacy. Peter Parker, who... I'm bringing up because I mentioned him earlier, but also he's one of my favorite characters. I'm always going to go back to him. But he gets bitten by a spider and has a very specific journey of, of becoming a hero and sort of choosing that path for himself, deciding that's who he wants to be and what's, what he wants to do with his powers. And kind of the same thing with the other very famous teen superheroes of the various Robins. Like, when... Robin was first introduced, there wasn't quite as much thought put into, oh, was it a good idea to have a little kid dressing up in bright colors and beating people up? But throughout the history of Robin, starting with Dick Grayson, it has kind of been a choice that Bruce gives him as an outlet. Like, would you want to take this journey with me to, I guess, avenge your parents' death and 
find a way to ease this pain? And he says yes. And again, with Tim Drake, Tim actively reaches out. He goes to Bruce and he's like, I am going to be the next Robin because you need a Robin. And that is the story for most teen sidekicks and teen heroes is they choose this path for themselves. But Jaime is really thrust into it and with little choice in the matter, especially because this scarab kind of has a mind of its own and kind of chooses what to do with the armor and when to bring it forth and when to attack. And Jaime is not only trying to fight crime and save his friends at various points, but also is, especially at the beginning, actively trying to work with this armor and figure out how it works and is actively trying to honestly get it to stop killing people or stop trying to kill people and stop forming, I don't know how it works, creating weapons at different points. So it's a really interesting, I think, origin because of that and a really interesting way of creating a here a new hero. And he has such a unique journey of becoming the Blue Beetle and working with his powers and figuring out who he wants to be because he doesn't really have a choice in the matter. He is very much just given this thing and it's bonded to him and he can't get rid of it. So I think that's extremely fascinating. And it was handled super well, I thought, in a very, very interesting, clever way. Okay, so I know it's not quite half my show yet, but I actually have a lot of thoughts about Titans, and I want to make sure I have enough time for that. So now, as a very unsubtle transition into my next topic, um, how Jaime gets the mantle of Blue Beetle, specifically with the fact that he gets it after Ted dies, reminds me a lot of DC's treatment of Dove during Crisis and Infinite Earths. So, um, in a similar vein to Jaime becoming Blue Beetle after Ted dies, Don Granger becomes Dove after Don Hall dies in Crisis and Infinite, on Infinite Earths. And there's kind of a pretty common tale of legacy heroes in comics where the new character takes on the mantle of an old character after old, the old character dies or retires or moves on to something new. So it's not like there's a whole lot of similarities, but it was just something that kind of crossed my, crossed my mind as reading as I was reading this. And I really like how they did it with Ted and Jaime. I thought it worked really well. Um, but the way that DC replaces Don Hall is something that actually annoys me to no end. Because I've always felt like it's just a little bit disrespectful to both the character Don Hall and Don Granger, that they have the same name. Like, I can't even talk about these characters without saying their last names, because otherwise it would be very hard to tell them apart, since although their names are spelled differently, they're pronounced the same. And this just bugs me, because one of the things that I think makes Legacy Heroes so special and so interesting is how they bring in something new to the character, and how their character is different, while still respecting the original and still respecting that mantle. Which is another thing that I kind of don't think Don Hall, Don Granger does very well, because I don't think she's a very good dove. She's, in my opinion, kind of way too violent, and that's something that Don Hall never wanted to be. He is dove for a reason, and he represents peace for a reason, and he gets into crime fighting in the first place to help protect his brother. So I just think it's like, I don't know, it bothers me a lot. But even more than that is, and here's my unsubtle transition into Titans, is how Titans handled the characters of Hawk and Dove. Because 
when we first meet Hawk and Dove in the Titans, it is Don Ranger Dove and Hank Hall Hawk, which that's fine. But when they do introduce in a flashback Don Hall and we see the origin here, first of all, Don Hall is also very violent in this, which kind of bugs me because, again, not at all who Don Hall is supposed to be. But even more than that is the fact that they literally kill him by having him hit with, by a bus. This is never something I'm going to be over. It is so disrespectful, and I hate it so much, because in, D in DC Comics, Don dies saving the world in Crisis on Infinite Earths. And in, in the Titans TV show, they hit him with a bus. I will never, ever be over this. It is super annoying to me. I will never forgive them. But now moving into the actually spoilery part of the new Titans season of with, I've only seen the first two episodes, but episodes one and two of season three, which again, spoilers ahead, spoilers incoming. Um, so we've known for a while that they were going to be pursuing the Red Hood storyline in Titans. What I did not expect when starting the first episode was that they literally jump into this immediately. The first five episodes of the first episode of season three encompass pretty much the entirety of a Death in the Family storyline, except with none of the components of a Death in the Family storyline, because it is literally just Jason getting killed by the Joker immediately. And I have no problem with that in most cases, because I understand that Titans has a lot of stuff they want to put in their season, and they don't really have a lot of time to focus on this one thing specifically, except for the fact that the way they do it leaves no anticipation and no suspense or emotion of any kind in my mind. It was literally so fast and emotionless, and we don't know anything about Joker in Titans. This is the first time we're hearing or seeing him at all. So there's nothing to, like, make us really find Jason going after Joker especially frightening or, like, upsetting and stressful, aside from the fact that we know from the comics who Joker is and how bad he is. So I thought this was done terribly, especially since I find that Jason's death in the comics is one of the most gut-wrenching storylines in DC Comics, and in the end I thought that the opening sequence here felt very empty, it was too fast, and it just didn't work for me. I thought that was a giant letdown, a huge, huge letdown. And just as a friendly reminder, you're listening to Thought Bubbles on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Um, right now I'm talking about the two first episodes of season three of Titans on HBO Max, so spoiler warning for that. So personally, I think it would have been better to leave Jason's death for actually the end of the first episode, because that leaves a lot more room to build some anticipation, since DC is clearly counting on the fact that most of their fans are comic book readers and familiar with the Red Hood storyline, since they take no time to establish or build up Jason's death in the beginning, meaning they know, th they're assuming audiences will understand what's happening here and know what this means. But for me, it would have been much better to instead leave that for the end, which then you leave audiences anticipating this 
huge emotional event that they know is coming and I think that would have just made it far more emotional to sort of leave it as a more shocking thing for the end instead of just getting out of the way at the beginning which didn't work at all for me but no instead they saved the end of the episode for Bruce Wayne killing the Joker which granted is a shocking ending where killing Jason probably would not be but it also leaves the Red Hood storyline making absolutely no sense to me. So skipping completely over the fact that Bruce is actively looking for new Robins because I don't have time for that, but that is insane. Um, and just talking about the issues with Red Hood specifically, in the comics, Red Hood becomes Red Hood, Jason becomes Red Hood for the sole purpose of, like, showing Bruce that you can kill your bad guys, your enemies, and sometimes it is the best and only course of action. He's trying to show Bruce, like, you can be Batman and kill people, especially the Joker. And also, he's trying to make a point to Bruce about, why didn't you avenge me? Why is Joker still alive, despite the fact that he killed me? So Bruce killing Joker in the end of the first episode makes no sense at all. There is nowhere to go from here and still have the Red Hood be any version of the Red Hood that is known in the comics. It makes entirely zero sense. So it's baffling to me that they still do this storyline. And in, in addition to this, Jason doesn't fit in with the Titans because he doesn't have that same kind of beef with them. It's such a specific situation and so specifically tied to Jason and Bruce. And while I understand that this is a show about the Teen Titans and not about the Bat family, I just don't really understand at this point why the Redhead story is being told. If it's not going to be at least a little bit about Bruce and the Joker, because Granted, they are telling possibly a different story at this point than I am seeking, but I feel like it could have been done in a way that left Bruce and Jason and the Joker with some part of the story and just still tying in the Titans to that, or giving the Titans their own story, or maybe just picking a storyline that is less now Bat Family focused because we're also bringing in Tim and Barbara Gordon, and it's starting to look a lot like the Bat Family show instead of the Titans show, which especially when DC has, like, 50-something Bat books, Bat-centered comic books right now, I think they should maybe focus on other characters a little bit. But yeah, so it's like, every single route for the Red Hood has been pulled up and changed, so I'm not seeing any reason why this story was done and how it makes any sense. And I'm really bummed, too, because I was actually really excited to see how they were going to handle the Under the Hood and Death in the Family arc, since, like I said, I think it's super emotional, which also makes it really interesting and a very dynamic story. But they stripped all of that. Literally, like, how do you make Jason's death unemotional and anticlimactic? It doesn't... it just doesn't work for me, so... Anyway... To end on a high note, um, I super love what they're doing with Barbara. I think she's awesome. 
as well as I really like their Tim and I'm super curious to see how they fold him into the mix. As well as Corey. She looks incredible this season. I love her new outfit. I think it's awesome. I've said awesome like 10 times in the sentence, but I think it's awesome and super pretty. And I do, I do have to say, I'm curious as to how she got her powers back because her powers weren't working at the end of last season and then suddenly she has them, but that's okay because she's brilliant. So yeah, I'm actually largely enjoying everything except for what they did with Red Hood. Granted, I still haven't seen episode three or the rest of the episode episodes which aren't out yet. So there's still a chance that it will turn around and work out really well, and I'm hoping that's the case, but I have to say I'm actually not too optimistic of that. Now, with just a few minutes left, um, I wanted to talk about last night, Sam and I ranked Batman's rogues gallery by most to least interesting, because yes, this is how we spend our free time, and because I thought it was interesting, I wanted to share with you all what we thought about them. So I've brought Sam on to talk about that with me for the last bit of the show. So first of all, I want to start by saying that this list was born because Joker is the most boring villain of all time and needs to stop taking front and center when there are so many more interesting characters. Um, in my opinion, I think that the, the most pinnacle, absolute most interesting Batman rogues gallery villain is Mr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze is a good one. He's very underused. He's definitely underused. I agree. Um, I don't know. There's just something about him that's like... I'm, I'm thinking sort of specifically in... Everywhere I think, but particularly in like Batman the Animated Series, I think he's utilized so well. Just his aesthetic is so good and like his motivation is so good with trying to save his wife. I just think it's perfect. It works so well every time. It's unique. It's clever. He's not quite just straight up a villain. He's got like interesting morals and an interesting backstory. Yeah, I think he's the best one. Yeah, he's a really cool character. He is. He's cool. It's so cool. And then um, up there with him, I think, is like Two-Face, who again, just his backstory is also really interesting. And he's just got like such a great aesthetic to him. I think all of these characters... Like, more so than the Joker, who's kind of, like, famously unpredictable and famously unhinged. All of these characters have, like, a deeper conflict to their their villainy. You know, like, Freeze is doing it, like, at the core, you know, for this sense of his idea of love. And that's what's motivating him. And, like, Two-Face, you have this really obvious theme of, like, justice and mm -hmm. literally battling yeah. two halves of yourself. And someone who was... Uh, Bruce's friend and is now Batman's enemy and you know like there's such that it's a great conflict because of what their motivations are that I feel like it makes the story so much more interesting and they're not really utilized in that sense as much as I would like to see them. Yeah I completely agree because I was going to bring up Justice for Two-Face as well it's like he's almost very similar to Batman because of that but also like both of these villains have Harvey especially, it's really interesting when Bruce has to fight him in particular because there is a history there. They know each other. It's not just like, oh, this is the Joker who has killed every single member of your family, but also every other single member in Gotham for literally no reason except right. for his own enjoyment. Like, when Bruce fights Joker, it's like, it is literally the Red Hood dilemma of why is he not just killing him at this point? And with 
with Two-Face, with Harvey, there's a really interesting conflict where Bruce doesn't want to hurt Harvey. He doesn't want to hurt Two-Face. They used to be really good friends. Bruce still holds affection for Harvey and wants to fix it and save him. But that's also not really going to happen. I don't want to speak for any of the other, like, comics I'm not really that well-versed in, you know, Two-Face history, but uh, the other week I was rereading All-Star Batman, written by Scott Snyder, and Two-Face is a major player in that. And again, I don't know how much this is the case for other stories, but Harvey knew that Bruce was Batman, mm-hmm. and Two-Face didn't. Um, and so you already have that, like, Bruce and Harvey know each other, but, like, if Harvey knows that Bruce is Batman as well, there's just such a good conflict there of being friends and being enemies and being unable to control one side or the other. Yeah, it's like, it's almost star-crossed. It's so sweet. And then Joker's just like, bleh. I feel like Joker gets this rap for being like, oh, haha, he's so crazy. But he's almost, like, the most predictable. Mm-hmm. Just because I don't really feel a good sense of underlying motivation besides, like, haha, gonna kill people. And we know that he's, like, motivated by Bruce and by Batman, and it's not back and forth that motivated. Like, that's been pretty clear for, like, a pretty long time. I just don't find it that interesting. Not as much as if you have an external factor, um, or even a more emotional factor like Two-Face that also applies to it. I just think Joker falls kind of flat in that sense. Yeah, I agree. Um, a thousand percent. And we're sort of running out of time, so we're not going to get to the whole list. But I want to add, I think that another character that is top of the list is Ivy, um, Poison Ivy, just because, first of all, I think she's, again, just a really interesting villain. And I love her character and the way that she's played. But also, I just think that she's so sexy, but like in a really fun way. Like, it it works so well. I don't know. I just, I love her. But again, there's another, like, external motivation, Mm -hmm. which is driving her to villainy, but it's also, like, environmentalism. And, uh, you know, it's not just like, haha, gonna kill people. And she does kill people and doesn't really seem to feel that much remorse for it. But again, it's it's motivated by something that she's She's very passionate mm -hmm. about. And that's why she does, that's why she goes to the lengths that she does, which I think is a really interesting storyline. Yeah, I'm passionate about environmentalism too. I support her. Yeah, she's allowed to do what she wants, actually. Yeah, she can do what she wants. Okay, who's sort of, like, next here? Oh. Um, in the current, uh, well, I think specifically Catwoman run right now, they're kind of playing with an Ivy who's not Poison Ivy anymore, and she's different, and we don't really know what that means, because she's been missing for a while, um, but that's gonna be also an interesting... Now, this is just going into, like, Sam's home for redeemed villains, because I adopt them like crazy. Um, but that's also going to be, we'll see how that's going to change her character, because she's still, you know, Ivy. Um, but, you know, is she going to keep killing people to get what she wants, and how is that going to affect not her motivation, but maybe her actions? That's been fairly consistent over the past little while in comics. Which actually, um, very similarly, Jason is going through sort of that same kind of journey right now is he decides not to kill i mean he's almost killing for the opposite reasons but just because i guess they're kind of on opposite sides of the quote unquote war um and their motivations are a bit different but he's also just recently decided to stop killing because it's sort of not working out the way he wants it to in the fact that sort of he i think as he put it 
death has a, a tendency to ripple out to those who you don't want it to. Right, this is in the Urban Legends mm-hmm. that just came out, which was one of the best, um, was the story Cure? Yeah, In Cheer. Urban Legends, which is one of the, the best stories in Urban Legends, in my opinion. Same, I agree. As much as I love Tim almost coming out, <laughs> I do think that Cheer was a stronger story overall. But, um... Who sort of who's who? Who do we say is next on the list? Just in these last couple of minutes, we're probably gonna have to cut this though because it's only like three and a half, two and a half minutes left. Yeah. Okay. So then, sort of like below these top of Freeze, Two Face, and Ivy is, in my opinion, like I mean, in our opinion, we came up with this together. This is our definitive <laughs> list. But um, Selena, Court of Owls, and Talia, which the Court of Owls are kind- more to the list. Oh, never mind. And Selena, Court of Owls, Talia, Riddler, Counterman, and Clayface. Which this list is a little bit just the, the quirky villains that Sam and I are fond of. You have to explain Counterman for the people, because okay. I, I left that up to you. I don't have any experience with him. I have very little experience with Counterman. I just love his shtick. I think it's so funny. His name is Julian Day, and he's a criminal who commits crimes only on holidays. It's hilarious, and I love it. That's why. That's the only reason he gets that place. But that is pretty much all the time that we have for today. So thanks, Sam, for tagging on at the end there. And thank you all for listening. I would super love to hear if you guys agree with us or disagree or maybe who your underrated Batman Rogues Gallery villain is. So if you're interested in sharing your thoughts, you can do so on Instagram at thoughtbubbles.kuci. I'll also be posting updates on what I've been reading and Uh, what we'll be talking about next week, which is going to be a show a little bit different from what we've seen so far, since I am bringing on my entire family to talk about comics, since they're the ones who got me into it. So look out for that next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.